Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth. We're so happy that you decided to join us today. This is the teaching podcast from our Sunday worship service, recorded at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Our goal as a church is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. We hope that this message inspires you and helps to lead you deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy. Christ Fellowship, how we doing? Doing all right? Ah, uh, you guys got to give me a little bit more energy than that. You doing all right? Ah, yeah. oh, see, there you go. Now everybody who's watching online is going to feel like they're missing out. You know what I mean? Uh, it's great to be here this morning with each and every single one of you, as always, especially with those who are joining us online. And I just want to tell you something right now. Thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here this morning and choosing Christ Fellowship to spend your Sunday morning with us. Thank you so much. Real quick, two things. Don't worry about the finger. I'll tell you about that in a second. But two things. My name's Eddie, in case we have any first-time visitors. Any first-time visitors with us here today? Anybody? Anybody? Great. We have one. All right. Give it up for the one person we got. The rest of you, I consider you all Christ Fellowship veterans. You guys have been here for mad time. The second thing, the second thing I want to point out, in case you guys don't know, tomorrow is the first day of spring. Right? Yes, yes, yes. We all know what that means, right? We means goodbye, spring break for some people. That means goodbye, cold weather. It means goodbye, puffy coats. Goodbye, multiple layers of clothes, right? Hello to warm weather. Hello to the flowers. Have you seen the flowers yet? Right? Hello to chanclas. If you're Dominican, socks with chanclas. Just wanted to point that out. I can say that. My wife is Dominican. But... If we really put some thought to it, if we really put some thought to it, to be honest, we are literally, because it's tomorrow, we are literally on the verge, on the cusp, on the edge of entering into a brand new season. Literally, entering into a brand new season. And I firmly believe that that's what Jesus wants to do with each and every single one of us here He wants each and every single one of us to enter into a brand new season with him, a season of dwelling in his presence. It's what our focus has been on since the beginning of this year. Through each and every book that we have covered so far, we have found out the many different ways that we are able to dwell in the presence of God. And just to name a few right off the bat, I just want to just name a few of them, right? We have figured out or we have discovered how we are able to dwell in the presence of God through our obedience to him, through our obedience to him. We have, been, we have discovered how we are able to dwell in the presence of God through his unstoppable plan. We have discovered how to dwell in the presence of God through being a servant of the Most High by serving him. And last week, Pastor Debbie, in case you weren't here, she gave an amazing message in First and Second Kings, and she showed us how we are able to dwell in the presence of God through our surrender to him, through our sacrifice to him, through us realizing that he is the one true God. There is no one above him. There is no one beside him. He is the only one. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. There is no other God besides him. And as we continue our journey this week, we are brought to the doorstep, to the doorstep of First and Second Chronicles. And here in these two books, the Lord has something so vital, so important that he wants us to understand. And if we grasp on to what God is about to reveal to us today, if we hold on to it, we are going to discover that it's going to prevent us from moving in the wrong direction. It's going to prevent us from making the wrong turn in our life. Not only that, it can prevent the wrong thing or the wrong person from entering into your life. And if we really take a hold of what God is going to reveal to us today, it can prevent any future regrets. How many of you here ever had a regret before? Actually, you know what? I shouldn't even ask that question because I know every single person here has at least one. Has at least one. I know I do. 
I have at least one. And it's not a good thing to have. It's really, it's really not. Because every time we think about that regret, don't we get like the sinking feeling in our stomach, wishing that we would have never done the thing that we did, but we did it anyway, and it didn't turn out so great? But if we pay attention to what God is going to tell us today, it can prevent that. But all of these things, though, all of these things, the wrong turn, the wrong decision, the wrong person, the regrets, all of these things started with one thing, and it started with this, a decision. It started with a decision that we made. Have you ever said this to yourself? Well, at the time, it seemed like the right thing to do. At the time, it seemed like the right thing to do. And the reason why we say that is because in that moment, in that frame between 11.15 and 11.16, it seemed like the right thing. We weren't sure if it was the right thing, but it seemed that it was. Meaning that in that moment, we weighed the pros and the cons. We looked at the good and the bad. We measured the benefits and the drawbacks. And as a result, the decision that we made put us in that direction. It put us on that path. But unfortunately, unfortunately, it still didn't turn out the way that we hoped it would or the way that we thought it should. Why is that? If we do all those things, if we weigh the pros and the cons, the good and the bad, if we do all of that, but it still doesn't turn out the way that we thought, then how do we know if the decisions that we're making are the right ones. Not just in the small moments, but think about this, especially in the big moments. You know the ones that I'm talking about, the monumental ones, the ones that are life-changing, life-altering. What school to go to, what town to live in, what person to marry. All the life, should we have kids, should we not have kids? Should I take that promotion in that different town? Do do I move to a different state? All of the life-altering, huge, big-moment decisions How do we know if we're going to make the right one? Because here's the thing. It just doesn't affect you because, let's face it, that's important. Whatever decision I make, I know it affects me, but it affects everybody else around you that loves you and cares about you and everyone else around you that you love and that you care about. So there's a whole lot at stake when it comes down to the decisions that we make and the choices that we have. And if we make the wrong one, that's tough. So how do we know? How do we know which decisions are the right ones? A few years ago, a few years ago, I got the opportunity to take advantage of something that I've always been fascinated about since I was a little kid. Can anybody guess what it is? Chess. Oh, my God. I knew you guys would get it. Uh, It wasn't Connect Four when I was growing up. It wasn't Chinese checkers, but for some odd reason, it was chess. When I grew up, chess was the thing that fascinated me the most, but I wasn't able to get into it only until a couple of years ago. Fast forward to now. Fast forward to now. I have over three chess boards in my house. I have over two tournament time clocks. And for those who know me, I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. I have four chess books on strategies and different combinations on how to make your opponent not beat you. I also have it on my phone. (laughs) But they call chess the thinking man's game. They call it that because of all the intricacies of all the movements that the moves can possibly make. If you make the wrong move, you're toast. If you make the right move, you're good. But here's the thing. In chess, in chess, the different combinations, the different things that I'm talking about, just to give you an idea. If you make one move, if you make one move in chess, there are 20, this should show up on the board over here. There are 20 possible moves that your opponent can make as a response to you. 20 possible moves. That's why they call it the thinking man's game. 20 possible decisions that that person can make as a response to the move that you make. I'm going to fast forward. After move three, the number jumps up. After move three, there are 8,902 possible combinations that you can make on the chessboard. 
8,902 possible decisions, possible combinations that can be made on the chessboard itself. If you make it to move seven and you haven't lost the game yet, if you make it to move seven and you haven't lost the game yet, there are 3,284,294,545 possible moves and combinations that you can make on the chessboard after move seven. That's 3,284,294,545 decisions that have to be made in chess. But I'm not interested in all those moves. I can barely count up to three billion. I'm interested in one. Because in chess, all it takes is one move and the game is over. All it takes is one right move and the game is over and you win. Chess is a thinking man's game. And the cool thing about it is if you have the app on your phone, if you have the app on your phone, on your desktop, your laptop, or your iPad, whatever you want to consider it, there's this thing on it that's called a chess bot. Now, the chess bot, what it does is that it assists you while you're playing. That's what it does. If you make a move, the chess bot calculates over 3,284,294,545 possible move combinations, and it gives you the best move. If you happen to make the wrong move, the screen freezes and it says, hmm, that's not the move you should make. And then it gives you the suggestion of the move that you should make. It's amazing. How does it know that? Because it has just calculated over 3,284,294,545 possible moves. And it determined that that one move is the move that can win you the game. In our lives, we have something that is way better than a chess bot. We have something that can calculate not just 3 billion, but an infinite amount of move combinations in order to give us the right move, in order to give us the right decision. And that's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And there's only one way to get it. You can't download it on an app. You can't purchase it on Amazon and have Prime deliver it to you the next day for all you Prime people. You can't go to a retail store and shop and buy it. You can't accidentally stumble upon it on the floor like you would a dollar bill. No, there's only one way to get the Holy Spirit. And that is through our belief in Jesus. That is through accepting him into our heart as our Lord and Savior. That is through following him. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine and for the sins of the world. That's the only way you can get it is if you believe that. And John writes this. We're not going to spend too much time here. John writes this in his gospel. Jesus is talking here, and this is what Jesus says. In John chapter 7, verse 38, this is Jesus talking. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. Well, what are these rivers? Thank God Jesus tells us in the very next sentence. By this, he, Jesus, meant the spirit, whom those who what? Believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus at this time, he was still chilling. He was still chilling among the people, doing his ministry. He had not been crucified on the cross yet for your sins and for mine. Fast forward about 3,000 years later. We have good news. Jesus has already been glorified. He has already been glorified on the cross. He already suffered, died, and resurrected. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, which means what? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit is available to be given to all who believe, but only if you believe. Now, why is this so important? Because the Holy Spirit brings with it this really cool, amazing thing called discernment. Say discernment. 
Say discernment over here. Discernment. Discernment is a really fancy word. Discernment comes from the Hebrew word bean, which means to understand, to distinguish, to perceive, to be able to deal wisely. When it comes down to the decisions that we make in our lives, when it comes down to the big moments that we have to make a choice of which way to go and what to do, wouldn't it be great to be able to understand, to distinguish, to perceive, and to deal wisely right before we make that choice? Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. Well, Eddie, I do do that. I do sit down. I do weigh the pros and the cons and everything else. Well, let me tell you something. There's a difference. The understanding that the sermon is talking about, the understanding that it's talking about is the understanding of God. It's God's understanding into the situation. Not your understanding, but the one who understands it all. It's God's understanding. The distinguishment that it's giving you, the, the, the fact that you're able to tell the difference between what's what and what's not, that's God looking into that situation. That's God seeing things for what they are. That's God telling you because he's able to distinguish what is of him and what is not of him being available to you. When it comes down to his perception, that's the perception of the Lord. That's God being able to see into the heart of the matter. That's God being able to see into the mind, into the heart of the individual that is before you and telling you if that's the right person or not the right person. When it comes down to the wisdom, that is God's wisdom. Let me tell you something. You can get a hundred of the most smartest people, geniuses in the entire world, savants in their fields, mathematicians, philosophers, physics professors, anybody. Put them in a room, lock them in there for a hundred years, bring them out, and it wouldn't even scratch the surface of the wisdom of God. It wouldn't come close. So when it comes down to discernment, it comes only from the Holy Spirit. And Charles Spurgeon, a really great theologian, a really great man of God, he says this in regards to discernment. Discernment is not a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it's telling the difference between right and almost right. The difference between right and almost right. You see, a lot of times we think that God's will or his way is the difference between right and wrong or good and bad. And we're not wrong in thinking that. We're not. But if we leave it at that, we're missing the entirety of the picture. Because I'll be honest with you. If I look around in this room right now, we're all smart, intelligent people. I'm not making fun of you. I'm, I'm being truthful. I think every single one of us here is able to distinguish between what's right and what's wrong. Running a red light, wrong or good or bad? Somebody said good. I'm looking at you, Jen Feliciano. But, but let's be honest. We're able to just, like, look, come on, let's be serious. Stabbing somebody, good or bad. It's bad. You can't do it, right? We know that. We know that it's not good. Elizabeth, Hispanic, right? We know it's not good. But the real struggle, the real struggle is not, Between that, come on, the real struggle is between what's right and almost right. Between what's right and almost right. That's why we say, well, it seemed like it was the right thing. Because we're not sure if it's right or almost right. That's why discernment is so important. Discernment eliminates the almost and brings us into the right. It brings us right into the dead center of God's perfect will. And if every decision that we make comes with discernment that comes only from the Holy Spirit, then we're right there in the middle of God's will, doing what it is that God wants us to do, making the right choices for our life so that way our lives are better as a result of the choices that we make in the big ones and in the small ones. Solomon, David's son, who was the wisest man who ever lived besides Jesus, when he was asked by God, I will give you anything that you, would, that you want, ask me. 
Think about that. Solomon was given the keys to the kingdom after David had passed away. He was the king after David. God came down and said, ask for whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. What would you ask for? What would you ask for? Think about it. God, God comes down to you right now. Hey, I want, I'll give you anything that you want, anything that you want. What would you ask him? Years ago, years ago, when I read his answer, when I read Solomon's answer, I flipped out because I didn't understand it. I would have asked for anything else, to fly, to have superpowers, anything like that. It would have been cool. But Solomon gave this answer, and I didn't realize or really understand why he gave this answer till much later on in my life. Solomon responded to God this way in 1 Kings 3.9. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Solomon asked for a discerning heart because he realized that his choices, his decisions would not only affect him, but that they would affect the entirety of God's people. It would affect the direction in which the entire nation would be going. It would affect everybody that he loved and everybody that he cared about. So he asked for a discerning heart because this is the thing. He didn't want to make just the almost right choice. He wanted to make the right choice. And you can only do that with discernment, with the Holy Spirit. Our choices, especially the big ones, as I said before, not only affect our lives, but everybody we know and care about. So it would behoove us to make sure that we're making the right ones ourselves, not just the almost right. And that goes for everything. It goes for everything, not just our decisions, but it goes for the things and the people that we let into our lives. It really does. It goes to the things and the people that we let in our lives. How do we know who to trust? How do we know who to trust? How do we know who to let in? How do we know which things and which people we should let become a part of our lives? Because let's be honest for a second. Let's be real. You guys know this just as much as I do. Not everyone who crosses your path is there for your benefit. Let's be honest, you guys are growing up. You guys are, you know, you guys are up there. You guys have some wisdom. Come on, be serious. Not everybody that you've had come into your life was there for the benefit of you. You've had problems. Your world has erupted. You've had chaos happen. You've had situations go south. You've had things that didn't turn out to be right, all because you let that thing or that person in your life that you thought was there for your benefit, but they turned out to not be there for your benefit. If anything, there were wolves in sheep's clothing roaming around the field of your life, and you didn't realize it. We have people that cross our path that are like that all the time. They're not there to be used by God to help advance the plan of God in your life. They're there to derail it. They're there to draw you away from God. They're there to make sure that you're not in the center of God's will. And sometimes, unfortunately, It's too little, too late by the time we realize it. I'm going to speak to the ladies real fast. If you're with somebody that's drawing you away from God and not bringing you closer to God, there's a problem. Men, if you're with someone who is making you do things that you should not be doing, that is drawing you away from the will of God, that is causing you to make choices and decisions that are against his word, there's a problem. There's a flag. So how do we know who we should let into our lives? All we have to do is look at 1 Chronicles and start talking about David. Because David was faced with a very similar choice in his life. He had to decide who he should let in, and who he should not let in. And as we get to 1 Chronicles, I just want to give you a little backstory of what's happening right now. David is on the run. He's on the run because King Saul, who was the king before him, 
is filled with jealousy over David. He has a, a, a disturbing spirit that is on him right now. And all he wants to do is find David, hunt him down, and kill him. So David, being the honorable man that he is, realizing who Saul is, that Saul is God's anointed, David decides to not raise a hand against Saul. He decides to not do any violence against Saul. If anything, he chooses to run the other way in the opposite direction, and he chooses to hide in the town of Ziklag. Now, in this town of Ziklag, there are many people who know where David is at besides Saul, and they are coming to join his ranks. Now, David has to be cautious because he does not know how far the hand of Saul reaches. What if these people that he lets into his camp are spies? What if these people that he lets into his camp are murderers? What if the people that are there that he lets in are there to assassinate him on Saul's behalf? So David has to be very careful. So he sets up a huge hedge of protection around himself. He sets up archers who are very skilled on the outskirts of the town of Ziklag. On the inner part of the town, he sets up people who are skilled with spears and shields. On the inner portion of that, David, I guess, you know, had a little bit of favoritism. He, he picked people who were skilled with the stone and sling ambidextrously, left and right. I'm only left, but he picked both. So he does that as a protection against all of these evil forces that could be coming down on him. But one day, there were these people from the, from the tribe of Benjamin and from Judah that wanted to enter and join David. And this is what happens. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, 17 through 18, it says this, David went out to meet them and said to them, if you have come to me in peace, to help me, I am ready for you to join me. But if you have come to betray me to my enemies, when my hands are free from violence, remember, because he's not raising a hand against uh, King Saul, may the God of our ancestors see it and judge you. In other words, he's saying to them, if you are here under false pretense, if you are here with a hidden agenda, if you are here with deceptive motives, may God see it and judge you. Excuse me. May God see it and judge you. You want to know why he says that? Because David knows that he can't see into the mind and into the heart of the people. He's a human being. He can't see into those things. And we, we can't see into those things either. We can't see into the heart of the people that come across in our lives. We can't see into their mind. We can't read their mind. And let's be honest, people who have deceptive motives, people who are not there for your benefit, people who are there to see you, they hide that real well, don't they? It's the reason why they were in your life for so long before they sprung their trap. We can't see those things, but God can. But God can. And I love what happens next. In verse 18, then the spirit came on Amasai, chief of the 30. And he said, we are yours, David. We are with you, son of Jesse. Success, success to you and success to those who help you for your God will help you. So David received them and made them leaders of his raiding bands. I love how the spirit just fell on Amasai. And he started to proclaim all these cool and wonderful things about the God that David had served. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit took over to reassure David that these people were people that were there for him and not against him. That these were people who were there to help him, not destroy him. They were there to help and assist in David's life, not take it away. And in the same way, if we let the gift of the sermon that the Holy Spirit provides to each and every single one of us guide our decisions, if we trust it, if we put our faith in it, it can do the exact same thing for us. It can weed out those who don't belong in our lives, and it can bring to the forefront the people that do. It can put a spotlight on the people that God has called to come alongside of us to help us fulfill the plan that God has for our lives. And here's the cool thing about it. It's mutual. It's mutual. Those people that come 
that are there for the right reasons, that are there that God has placed in front of you, that are there to help you in, your, in the plan that God has for your life, guess what? It's vice versa. God has placed us in their life to do the exact same thing for them, to help them in their life. It's a mutual. It's a divine connection. It's a divine connection that God has orchestrated. He's orchestrated it for his glory. Think about, I mean, this, this is mine, but think about this for a second. If two people, two groups, two churches are sharing a divine connection, helping one another to advance the plan of God in their lives, guess what's being advanced? The plan of God. The plan of God. That is such an amazing thing to be happening when the Holy Spirit is guiding the decisions of the relationships of the people that we allow into our lives. But that can only happen us. That can only happen if we let the Holy Spirit lead us to what is right, not to what is almost right, to what we think is right. When those people, when those people approached him, when they approached David, I can guarantee you this, because of the nature and the character of who David is, the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart meaning that all David wanted to do was please God, chase after God, follow God, do what God wanted him to do. If those people would have showed up and the spirit would have revealed that these people were against David, David would have never let them join his camp. He would have never let them join. How many people have we let join our camp that were not there for the plans of God? How many people? How many red flags did we overlook? How many warning signs did we ignore? When the screen froze and the Holy Spirit said, "Mm, that's not the right move, did you take its suggestion or did you ignore it? Because if you ignored it, it can lead you to destructive outcomes. If those people were not there for David and David would have let them come into his life, they would have killed him. They would have assassinated him. They would have took him out. The the outcome would have been disastrous for David. When it, come down, when it comes down to destructive outcomes based off of the decisions that we can make, there's one story that comes to my mind, and I just want to tell it to you really fast. It's in 2 Chronicles, and it involves two kings, one of them named Jehoshaphat, who was the king of the southern kingdom, and another king named Ahab, who was the king of the northern kingdom. Now, Jehoshaphat and Ahab, they didn't have beef. They didn't have beef. They actually, they got along really well, actually. But one day, Ahab, who did not follow God, but Jehoshaphat, who did follow God, the Bible says Jehoshaphat was a man who walked in the ways of David, just to give you an idea of how cool Jehoshaphat was when it comes down to his relationship with him and God. If you're being compared to David at this time, that's awesome. That's like being compared to Jesus right now. You know what I mean? But that's who Jehoshaphat was. Jehoshaphat was a good guy. He was a good king. Ahab, on the other hand, eh, not so much. But they didn't have beef. They got along together. So one day, Ahab calls Jehoshaphat to his kingdom. And he says, hey, Jehoshaphat, I want to go to war. I want to go to war against Ramoth Gilead. Do you want to join me? Do you want to join me? To which Jehoshaphat replies in 2 Chronicles verse 18. Jehoshaphat says this, I am as you are and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. But Jehoshaphat also said this, first seek the counsel of the Lord. Okay, that's cool. That's what you want to do. We can do that. But before we make that choice, before we make that decision, before we go down that route, let's first seek the counsel of the Lord. Let's First, see what God has to say about this decision before we even solidify it and actually go through with this plan. Wouldn't it be great if we did the same exact thing? 
Before we move left, before we move right, before we move to that town, before we make this choice to take that promotion, before we get into this relationship, how about we ask God first if it's something that we should do or not? Just to see what he says. We can learn so much from Jehoshaphat. He wanted to make sure that going to war against Ramoth Gilead was the right move, not the almost right move. So King Ahab tells Jehoshaphat, all right, we can do that. I'm going to have all of my prophets come here to tell you what the word should be. Now, he had over 400 prophets. Now, when I say prophets, I'm going to use this, prophets, because they weren't prophets. They were just people who were saying things that the king wanted to hear. 400 people, because if they said anything else other than what the king wanted to hear, Ahab would go like this and would cut them loose from their head, down, off their body, dead, they're dead, they're dead. That's what I meant, right? He would cut them loose. 400 prophets, prophets, all of them saying the same exact thing. If you're with a group of people and none of them disagree with you and they never disagree with you, you might want to check that group of people you're hanging out with. Because if you're around people who only tell you what it is that you want to hear, they're not there for your benefit. They're not there for your benefit. So these 400 people, he calls them in, and all 400 of them say, go, go, for God will give it into the king's hand. Go, go to war. Yes, go to war, King Ahab, go. But Jehoshaphat looks around and notices that these people, you're not from God. You're not a prophet of the Lord. And he asked the king in 2 Chronicles 18.6, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? Again, Jehoshaphat wants to make sure that this is the right move. And Ahab replies to him, there is still one man, though, whom we can inquire of the Lord. But I hate that guy. I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. Who wants somebody like that in their life? Nobody. But if you're telling me the truth, I want that. But if you're telling me the truth, I want that. King Ahab continues to say, he is Micaiah, son of Imlah. And reluctantly, reluctantly, King Ahab sends for him. And as they are waiting for Micaiah to show up, as they are waiting for the prophet of God, the one person out of the 400 to tell them what God wants them to do, they are sitting down on their thrones. And in front of them is this thing called the threshing floor, where all 400 of the prophets are standing. Now, if you can picture this, this is very, very important imagery for us to pay attention to right now, because the threshing floor was where they brought the grain in when it was harvest time. And in the threshing floor was where they would separate the useful part of the grain from the useless part of the grain. It's where they would separate the good from the bad. And right here is where the 400 prophets are standing and Micaiah is on his way. He's on his way. It's almost as if God is letting us know, hey, listen, these 400 people, they're useless. But I'm going to send you the one, the one that's going to tell you what my will is. So Micaiah shows up and he has a little bit of sass to him. He has a little bit of sarcasm to him because he knows that King Ahab doesn't like him very much. And Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramos Gilead? Should we do that? You know, I know you don't like me, but should we do it? And Micaiah responds, attack, be victorious, do it. But King Ahab notices his sarcasm and he makes him, no, 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 no. I know you, Micaiah. Tell me the truth. Should we go to war? And Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. 
And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. Was it a good outcome if they go to war? No. It was bad. He's telling them there's red flags everywhere. God is saying, don't do it. Don't go. Go home instead. Don't go to war. If you go to war, all of Israel will be scattered on the hilltops. If you go, the red flags were given, the warning signs were lit, but neither king listened to Micaiah. The Holy Spirit actually answered Jehoshaphat through the prophet Micaiah, and he didn't listen. He went to war with King Ahab against Ramoth Gilead, and it was a bloodbath. Bodies laying everywhere, people getting slaughtered by the sword, arrows flying all over the place. Their army was getting decimated, decimated. And in the middle of the battle, in the middle of the battle, King Jehoshaphat realized that this was a huge mistake and he cries out to God. He cries out to the Lord and God being gracious in his mercy diverted the people that were about to attack him. He diverted them away from King Jehoshaphat. And he was able to escape. Some of us, I firmly believe right now, we may be in the middle of a bad decision. We may be in the middle of the circumstances of the bad decision that we made. But if we take a note, if we take a page out of the word of God and listen to what Jehoshaphat did, and if we cry out to God the same way that he did, God in his infinite mercy, God in his infinite grace, Jesus in his infinite amount of love that he would have for us, would do the same exact thing for us. He would take us out. Of it. You see, Jehoshaphat had to humble himself to realize the mistake that he made. He had to humble himself. Oh, I made a mistake, God. Help me. Because who else are you going to cry out to when the world turns upside down? Who else? But King Ahab, on the other hand, didn't do what Jehoshaphat did. He didn't do that. If anything, he was even more deceptive than he was previously. He went into war. He went into the battle dressed as somebody else just so that nobody would recognize him. But the word says that in the middle of the battle, there was somebody. It doesn't say who. There was somebody who drew their bow back and released an arrow at random, at random. And that arrow struck King Ahab right between the plates of his armor. And he ended up dying later on at sunset. Jehoshaphat realized the mistake he made by not listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And he cried out to God. Ahab stuck to his decision and he didn't budge and he ignored the voice of the Holy Spirit spoken through Micaiah and it led to a horrible outcome. It led to his death. Sometimes, can I be honest with you guys for a second? Sometimes I think we say this to ourselves. I'm too far down the path I'm on to get off of it. If I get off of the path that I'm on, if I change my mind about the decision that I just made, I would look foolish. I would look like, I would look dumb in front of all my friends if I go back on my decision right now. Sometimes I think we say that to ourselves. But little do we know that it would look more foolish to stay on the path of that decision because the outcome is not going to be good. It's not it will lead to your destruction. I'm not talking about your death physically, but it could lead to your death spiritually. 
It could bring you outside of the will of God. It could bring you outside of his plan. It could bring you further away from his plan and his purpose that he has for your life. If we do not heed, if we do not change our mind, if we do not listen to the Holy Spirit, to what he is trying to do in our lives, if we go with the almost right and not the right, our lives will not end up where God wants it to be. Going down the path of almost right, you know what that leads to? It leads to more regrets. It leads to more people entering into your life that shouldn't be there. It leads to more things that shouldn't be in your life, but they're there. It leads to a not so good place. But if we go with the Holy Spirit of God, if we go with his decisions, if we go with what is right in his eyes because he knows it all and he sees it all, our lives will be aligned with his. Our lives will be better as a result. Listen, listen, my life personally, I can testify. I have made so many decisions that were outside of the will of God that I thought were the right ones. And they never ended up great. Never. They never ended up great. They ended up with arguments. They ended up with turmoil. They ended up with pain. They ended up with, with, with darkness. They ended up with bad thoughts. They ended up with, 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 with running away and, and, and it's just not good. And I've made choices like that time and time and time again in my life until I realized, you know what, God, I'm tired of making the wrong choice. I'm tired of making the wrong decision. God, whatever you want. Whatever you want, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whoever you want me to speak to, I'll speak to. However you want me to live my life, I'll live my life that way because I'm tired of making the wrong choice, the choice that I thought was right at the time but ended up not being right at all. God, how can you help me with that? And I remember one day, years ago, me and my wife, we were going house hunting, house hunting. It's like almost everybody's dream, right, to go house hunting. And me and my wife came to this house in Linden, Sunnyside, Linden. And we looked at it. We saw it. We were with the realtor. And we're like, man, you know, it has, you know, it has, it has good bones. It has, it has good bones. We can do some good things with this house. And we left. And we were really, really considering buying this house in Sunnyside, Linden. We went through all the paperwork. We put an offer in. The offer got accepted. And then we went to go meet with the lawyer. And as we met with that lawyer, me and my wife walked out of there without signing anything. We walked out of there and we did not feel at peace. We were like, yo, this doesn't feel right. This is mad shady. Something's wrong. I don't like it. She didn't, and she felt the same exact way. And because we did not have peace about that decision, because we prayerfully went into buying a house, we were trusting in God that he would show us where to go, where to buy, what to do, and how to go about it. And if we got any feeling that wasn't right between me or her, we didn't buy the house. And we trusted that it was God's leading that did that. We, we don't live in Sunnyside, Linden. We live in, in Elizabeth, in Elmora, where God has called us to be. Because that's where God wanted us to be. And that's where we ended up. Discernment is not a matter of telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. From this point forward, I'm telling you right, from this point forward to the end of your days, I'm not trying to predict your death. That's, 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 that's all up to him. I'm not doing that. But from this point forward to the end of your days, I can guarantee you this one thing. I can guarantee you this one thing. That in your life, from here till there, there will be more than 3,284,294,545 possible move combinations, decisions that you will make. From now till the end of your days. Will you listen to the prompting of God's Holy Spirit? Will you listen to the freeze frame that stops your moves and says, mm, you shouldn't make that move. You should make this move. Is that what you're going to do?
I'm telling you right now, I firmly believe that right now, this morning, God has told you his move. He has told you how he operates. He has told you, revealed to you what you should trust in, what you should follow, how you should go about making your decisions. God has made his move. It's time for you to make yours. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much, God. We thank you so much for who you are. We thank you so much for the power of your word, my God. We thank you so much for the revelation of your spirit, my God. We just thank you so much, my Lord. And I want to pray right now over every single person in this room, my God, over every single person who's watching online, Lord, that you would show them the right moves, my God, that they would put their trust in you, my God, that they would plead with you, my God, for an extra refreshing, for an extra outpouring, my God, for an extra abundance of your Holy Spirit, my God, for more of you, my God, to fall afresh on their lives, my God. I pray right now, Lord, that when you fall afresh on their lives, my God, that you would reveal to them, Lord, all of the decisions that are before them, my God, and that you would show them the path that you want them to take, my God. And I pray, Lord, that you would give them the courage, my God, to take that path, to take that decision, my God. If there's something or somebody, Lord, who is not meant to be in their life, my Lord, may you weed it out, my Lord. May you only bring the people in their lives, my God, that you have called to be in their lives, my God. The assignments that you have for them, my God. May we may be a mutual, a mutual divine connection, my God. May your plans be advanced through the decisions that you have given us to make, my God. May they be for your glory. May it be for you, my God. Lord, I pray over everybody, Lord, that whatever decision they make, whether it be for their family, for their jobs, Lord, for their walk, for their relationships, my God, for their children, my Lord, for their parents, my God, for every facet of their life, my Lord, when it comes down to it, Lord, that your decision, that your Holy Spirit, would guide them, and that they would be courageous and bold enough, Lord, to say, you know what? That's where I'm going. That right there, that's my move. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week in God, guys. Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelizabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.